Welcome to Savor Food and Body, a podcast for women in midlife who are ready to lose the mental and emotional weight of dieting. I'm your host, Amanda Bullitt, an undieting dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. Join me as I talk with other experts in the fields of intuitive eating, women's health, body image, and so much more. You'll also hear stories of women just like you who have learned to undiet their lives and fully embrace wellness without obsession. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Savor Food and Body. Today I'm talking with Iona Holloway, and she is a best selling author of the book Ghost Why Perfect Women Shrink, which is going to be a theme of our conversation today. She's also a coach and speaker and the co founder of the Soul Breathwork app. And she helps strong women do the inner work to find their blind spots so they can burn brighter and braver in their lives, work, and relationships. Iona says she teaches this stuff with the heart, with her heart, all of her heart and guts, because she says, trust me, life wasn't feeling good around her in her world for a long time. And this included struggling with an eating disorder, perfectionism, depression, um, crushing self-criticism for over 20 years. And we're going to talk about how that whole idea around perfectionism, trying to achieve perfectionism with our body image, and maybe even with our health, how that as women really keeps us invisible. So kind of this irony, like we're trying to do all the right things to show up and be seen in the world. But if we're doing that from the lens of perfectionism, then how is that really keeping us a lot smaller? So Iona, thank you so much for being here today. I think this is going to be a really cool conversation on body image with some unique twists that we haven't really talked about on the show before. So I appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Amanda. Happy to be here. So let's start with, tell us about your your previous relationship with food and your body and how that perfectionism kind of played a significant role. So you can take us back as far back as you want to go and and, and bring us to the front if you'd like. Yeah, sure. Um, so short recap on the life and times of Iona. I grew up in Scotland. I was one of these children who, from a very young age, was labelled as the smart one, the good one, the naturally talented one. So I was quick in school, I was very good at sports, and I was quite creative and artistic too. I remember stepping on my on scales for the first time when I was about four or five and being just like fascinated by the number. And even in that moment, I remember thinking, I want this to be smaller. And that to me is one of those heartbreaking, couldn't possibly be explained by anything (laughs) because it had never been spoken to me explicitly. Weight had never been talked about. I don't think I'd understood that there was any good or bad about it being bigger or smaller. But I remember standing on the scale and thinking, I want that to be smaller. And something that happened as I grew up is I really feel like I got locked into the story of being the perfect girl. 
just because I was so quote naturally talented at things and smart in school and then beginning to become really good at sports ended up representing my country and actually it's how I ended up going or ending up here in the U.S. I got recruited to play division one field hockey at Syracuse University so that was a huge part of huge part of my life but there was this tipping point in my mid-teenage years where I call it the pressure of perfect, the pressure to be perfect in the way that I was in school and sports specifically, it really just felt like it began to, to crush me. And something that I think I only really grew awareness of in, in the sort of glow of healing and thinking retroactively about these experiences when I actually started to do healing work was recognizing that I didn't feel like I had any outlet to say, do you know what, guys, it's not actually that easy to be me. Do you know what? I'm actually working really, really hard here, often invisibly, to get the results that you're all thinking I'm getting with ease. You don't see me, how much I'm studying behind the scenes. You don't see how much extra work I'm doing. You don't see me going out for the runs so that I can kill these fitness tests. You don't see any of that. All you see is Iona, who's perfect. And the pressure of that, I believe now again, in the light of hindsight, really manifested in me kind of going to war, like going to war with my body. And something that I learned... (laughs) as I grew up, and this was more into sort of my 20s and mid-20s, is the only time that I got recognized for my hard work was based on what my body looked like. That was the only time that people would say, oh my God, Iona, you're working really, really hard. And there was something intoxicating about that. Because I was not I was not this skinny thing. It wasn't that I ever got to a point where I was ever frail. I was so strong in how small I was. I was so strong in my shrinking. I was that lean little machine. And I always felt like, wrote about this in Ghost, I was never this beautiful person. I was not the one that men were ever chasing. But I got stopped on the street because of how wild my body looked. And that was just intoxicating for me and getting stopped in the gym, people staring at me as I could push myself harder than anyone else could. And I just got, I was hook, line and sinker trapped in that. And the thing that was also, I think, invisible about it, it's why Ghost is called Why Perfect Women Shrink and it's got this invisibility factor to it, is that nobody knew because of how small and lean my body looked that often Every single weekend, pretty much for my entire 20s, I would binge about 10,000 calories every weekend. You just didn't see it because from the outside, it all looked great. But then inside, I mean, this dark pit I was living in, I couldn't even wish it on my worst enemy. So that was me. (laughs) Um, And that was me until my last year of my 20s when I really hit a rock bottom and realized that something had to change. You know, and you and I were talking about this before we pushed record and how a lot of today's culture is set up around who we know, the popularity contest, how we're showing up on social media, especially as online entrepreneurs as well. And we, I think we're 
we're starting to hear more conversations around like, hey, not everybody's life looks like their Instagram feed, you know, behind the scenes, right? And so maybe that will end up being a blessing in the skies that if people start to put two and two together in that world, they'll also recognize that even with people they know, how they how they know those people, how those people are showing up in front of them, what are they not seeing behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. And I think that especially for women, and there are parts of my story that are really, really similar to yours with with the sports, with the body changing in relation to sport, and then the validation and all of that. And I don't think even as women that we talk about that enough amongst ourselves. And we might even praise ourselves, other people around us like, oh, hey, did you hear what so-and-so is doing and what plan they're doing? And it looks amazing. And, oh, they just have this perfect relationship and this perfect, you know, family and job and blah, blah, blah. But we don't understand usually what's going on behind the scenes. Um, we just see that one persona that we're perceiving as perfect and mm-hmm. we assume that there's a whole bunch of perfection behind the scenes too, which is rarely the case. I find with all the clients I work with and probably oh, yeah. for you too. Yeah. I was about to say, I think that that like the brutality of that feeling about other people, as soon as I started doing inner work and realized just how spectacular I had been at presenting a false reality. And as I started to get into more conversations with other people and eventually becoming a coach and breathwork facilitator around this, the whole idea that anyone's got it figured out to me is just laughable. Like it's, 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 I can even, I can laugh at it because the reality of that. And if I ever, of course, because we're all human, if I ever catch myself writing the story of it's easy for them, they're making it look so easy. It's not that I'm wishing ill on anyone or assuming that everyone's struggling or grinding or anything like that. But I know there there is no I get that. And it's interesting now to having sort of done this whole life cycle of healing and then arriving back at this place where I'm I run a business, I support people and how attuned I am to not in any way ever faking the fact that I am still such a human <laughs> that is running this business. I have not healed. I have not transcended perfectionism. I have not rid myself of every single insecurity that I ever had. Of course not. And so I'm very, I'm sensitive to that too. And when I'm talking about this work, the realities of it, the power of it too, which is just unquestionable, like doing inner work, healing, breath work, changed my life. I want everyone to do it. I want everyone to dive in and do it. And also, it's not an answer. You're still living with yourself always. And so I always like to make, I always like to reinforce that. See, when I see the sort of, there's a woman who I follow, she's called Kelly Deals. She talks about the the FLEB, the female lifestyle empowerment brand, just like slim white woman telling everyone that they can have it all. It's like, you can have a lot. You can burn so bright in your life, but it's like, there's no perfection to it. Don't let's not get that twisted. So glad that you brought that up because, and again, like I mentioned at the beginning of our call, like this is a really different conversation around body image. And I look at body image as almost two definitions. Like we have the body image that we have of ourself, like who we know ourself to be and 
we not might not always be being honest with ourselves like you said like we might be trying to perceive that perfectionism even for ourselves but then we have this whole body image of what we're either assuming people think about our body image or we're projecting onto them um, because we get validation from them about our body image and so I'm it's one of the things that I've appreciated getting to know about you is just this level of authenticity that you bring to both your work and the the book and just how you show up in the world because we need to be doing more of that especially as women's culture and especially for each other elevating each other to say hey it's okay to not be perfect it is okay to be your authentic self even if you're a professional that is helping other people to get comfortable with themselves. I think that that's another important piece of this too, because we can put these professionals up on this pedestal of like, oh, they've got it all figured out. Again, their version of perfect, but they're just human also that are mm-hmm. going through the tides of life. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be curious about your take on this too, but I think there's an interesting almost like subplot or flavor to some of this too, especially because so much I think of my wounding or sort of distortion around my body was by looking at other women and seeing the conversations that they were having about their body. And it's interesting because I think there's, you know, we all have our heroes growing up. And I didn't think that I was someone that really cared about the celebrity twigs because I was always more of that athlete and I was drawn to the athletes that were in the Olympics. And I just thought that they were incredible, but I still, like, I thought I didn't, I thought I was immune. (laughs) I'm so strong and smart. I'm immune to cultural societal conditioning. I thought that, but I was reading those magazines, like it was my full-time job. I would save up my pocket money, which I didn't have a lot of. And I'd be walking down the street to the, get the British version of whatever, the American ones are, but I'd be reading Heat, I'd be reading OK Magazine, I'd be reading all of these. And I learned a lot from other women about what I was supposed to be looked at. And I was involved in a lot of conversations with other women throughout my entire life where we were tearing down each other based on our physical appearance. And we were judging other people based on their physical appearance. And we were assuming dominance, power and superiority based on our physical appearance. And so I think that there's an interesting, I I don't, something that gets talked about. It's like suddenly, oh, we're in these places where we're accepting each other and we're being intuitive and your body's not actually that important. It's like you and me were not having this conversation two years ago. So what's changed? And I think that that's that's like a complex but beautiful thing for women to be witnessing about this too, is we've hurt each other. Yes, of course, like we can extrapolate that out to there's like societal systems that bleed into us. We're all swimming in the water. We all drink it. We then become this system of oppression. Like, yes, sure. But we've hurt each other at the hands of each other, too. And now we're also, I believe, if you're if you're willing enough to take the bridge from in pain to healing, you're uniquely positioned to start to open up conversations with the exact same people that you are probably judging two years ago. I find myself in that position all the time. And it's kind of a humbling one, but it also keeps me keeps me connected to the realities of 
how women may not necessarily trust each other when we're actually talking about, oh yeah, it's no, no problem. We are like our bodies were de- they're deserving of love. Really? Really glad that you brought that up because this is one of the main reasons that I I love working women in that kind of midlife space, say 35 on up towards 60 and that, yeah, there's a lot of changes going on with their bodies, but I also love, and I myself am in this age group because this is, you know, we're called the sandwich generation for a reason. Like we've got kids, we've got older parents, but there's another piece to that sandwich story in that we are also to your point, uniquely positioned to stop doing that with other women, (laughs) to stop having those conversations about how we should be shrinking our bodies or how we should be showing up as perfect because the younger generation is listening to us. You know, like you said, like you were hearing other conversations from that other women were having. And so I think that's a really important piece that is not talked about enough. We're doing a fairly good job of talking about societal opinions of women's bodies and perfectionism and all that. And, you know, people getting those messages from their families, from the culture, from their friends, whatever. But we don't do enough to say, well, what about the conversations that are not directed at any one young woman, but she's hearing all of it around her. And so I look at it as, if we're now in that age group of the women that the younger women are looking up to, it is our job and our unique position to stop that generational BS of tearing down bodies mm-hmm. and elevating perfectionism. And so yeah. that's it's a beautiful time of life to do the healing because the ripple effect is just profound in what can happen with generations coming up behind us. Yeah. It always blows my mind now when I think about how much time I used to spend talking about my own body or other women's bodies in conversation. I never have those conversations anymore because when I committed to my healing, it was one of the first things that I kind of had to realize. It was like, as long as you are giving those conversations oxygen, you are reinforcing that within yourself. And so I was kind of like, do you know what? I'm going to I'm going to starve out that piece of me. Like, I'm going to stop giving oxygen. I'm going to stop feeding the part of me that is looped into those kinds of conversations. And it was a really interesting thing because it caused a wee bit of friction in my external world because people were like, who are you? Because I was different because I was suddenly not available to have conversations. I would just walk away or I would say, do you know what? I don't want to talk about this. Or I would say, I don't. That's not what I believe anymore. And, you know, it comes up in families, Thanksgiving, everyone's like, ooh, boo, 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 like all those kind of things. And I really like consciously committed. I'm not giving any of these conversations oxygen at all. I wrote about this in Ghost, and I love that you're talking about the ripple effect, because one of the big reasons, like when I was 29, yes, I knew like my body was really beginning to break. Like it was getting injured all the time. I was, I had this kind of primal hunger that just couldn't be quenched by food because it was just, I was just so far gone with all of it. But I learned I was going to be an aunt. And that was such a moment of reckoning for me because I knew she was going to be a wee girl. And 
I just did not want her to know that version of me. And that was a really, I think sometimes we all need a real, why are you doing this? And and for the days, especially when perhaps you can't do it for yourself. And she really, like, I'll always be grateful that she was born <laughs> selfishly. And obviously I'm thrilled that, she, that Evie's alive and that she's, I get to be her aunt. But she was my teacher in that moment. She sort of really initiated me into healing in many ways. Um, and I'm so fundamentally grateful for that. And also that she gets to know the version of me that doesn't talk about women in that way and also doesn't embody that in the way that I act and move around in the world too, which is just as, you know, it's just as important how you're holding and carrying yourself and what you're modeling to people as it is what you're talking about. hundred percent. And what a, really what a gift you're giving to her is because the reality might be, you might be one of only a few women in her life as she grows up that isn't going to have those conversations with her or in and around and about where wherever she is so that mm-hmm. she can hear those. And if anything, you might be not challenging if those conversations do come up when she's around. I mean, you're challenging them even if she's not around. You know, you are doing the work of stopping that generational cycle. And honestly, I don't know that there's a better newborn gift that you could give to a, a new kiddo coming into the world of not giving those conversations, negative conversations about bodies and body image oxygen. I love how you said it that way, because it's exactly, it's exactly what need, needs to happen. And I'm wondering too, that as you, we, we've talked about your book a little bit, but let's go into that in a little bit more detail too. And I'm wondering how writing that best-selling book, Ghost, Why, per- Why Perfect Women Shrink, helped in your healing process I'm kind of curious about the timeline there like was it written after was it written during mm-hmm. like was it what all part of your reflective healing process yeah so I wrote ghost about two years out after sort of really I would say I spent between the ages of 29 and 30 inner work inner child work breath work those are my full-time jobs I didn't, I chose not to, when I decided that I was going to heal, I'd had a couple of experiences throughout my life where I had tried to get help for my quote eating disorder. Um, I'd been diagnosed with bulimia when I was, I think, 16. And, you know, we'd kind of spot fix some behavioral stuff, but it really didn't make any difference at all. Also, I didn't want to heal. I still wanted to shrink it that, you know, I still wanted to be small. So that's another big thing as well. It's like, you're not ready until you're ready. Certainly wasn't ready when I was 16. And then all throughout my college career, there were different moments where I really tried to get help. But I I, I went to a dietitian at the university. I went to counseling because by that point, the depression and the sort of the, the thickness of it was really starting to build. I don't really remember so much of that from my younger years, but the depression or the feeling of just, I hate myself, really started to wrap itself around me the longer I went through my 20s. And I went to traditional counseling, and I'll never forget it. I know I'm not going to say this is a blanket statement, because I know that some people have great therapists and love that. I sat down in this college therapy room with a guy 
I won't name him. I think he still works there. And he sat with me in silence for 40 minutes until I broke. And it was so horrendous. It was such a horrible experience that I think I managed to pull myself back there once or twice. And then I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work for me. So, and then, you know, I went through all of my, all my twenties, basically finding places where it was reinforced that my behavior was excellent. So, you know, find myself in the CrossFit gyms, find myself cussing for weightlifting competitions, just like all the places where I could be validated for my extreme behavior, hiding in plain sight, just like zoomed by just perfectly. And then, yeah, when I got to 29, my body was just broken, hadn't had a period in decades, um, just endlessly injured and this crazy hunger that just couldn't be quenched. And when I was looking around trying to figure out how I was going to heal, it just didn't feel like the medical route was the thing that I needed. So I ended up going non-traditional. <laughs> I ended up getting really into visualization. I ended up getting really into breath work. I ended up inner child work totally transformed my life. And then also I read this book, I don't know if you've heard it, called The Fuck It Diet. Yep. By Caroline Dooner. And that honestly, I kind of piecemealed that with the intuitive eating book by Evelyn Triboli. And honestly, both of those things, like I couldn't believe how quickly I started to heal just by surrendering to to the ideas that were in those books. It really was a surrender, like surrendering to all of it. The fear of ballooning, the fear that I was never going to stop eating, the unlimited permission to eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. It was so scary, but I did it all. And it was it was kind of bizarre that it felt bizarre that something that I had fought so hard for such a long time, just going through this phase of almost just like three months of unlimited permission and then suddenly just like the tent, the power that the food had over me just started to dissolve and it's not a perfect thing it's still interesting now I'm what I'm 33 now nearly 34 still like when I'm struggling those are the thoughts that come I just don't act on them and they just don't have that same pull anywhere close like they're just like a whisper now (laughs) and I can always laugh at them because it's like it's not going to help but you know thanks for taking care of me um but yeah, like that sort of non-traditional approach to things really, really landed for me. And I hope I didn't go off on a tangent. Yeah, it's just think, I think it's important to recognize, well, for me, again, I'm curious if you've had this experience too. I just needed to be seen in someone else's story <laughs> or to like feel like I had a connection with who it was that was facilitating any of my experiences for me whether it was a breathwork teacher whether it was a person that was guiding me through inner child work whether it was the writer of the book I'm just such a big believer in resonance I don't care what your qualifications are I don't care how many degrees you have I will hire someone who has walked the walk who has figured it out through the sort of just like the yeah, like their own life experience, I will always hire that person over anyone else. And it's not, it's not served me wrong yet. I think that you're spot on with that. And that's one of the great things to think about the fuck it diet is that Carolyn, she is, um, she's a, she's a writer and she, I think has a, some of the journalism background, things like that. 
but she's not a dietitian. She's not a therapist. She's not, wasn't trained in it in a classical way that, that we all were. And I have done so much unlearning of that classical training. Once I started working with people and once I started doing my own recovery work going, Whoa, there's, there's some skills I learned in grad school that could have kept me stuck in my eating disorder for a way long time. Cause Mm -hmm. now I have all these calculations in my back pocket and I could ride that line pretty thin between healthy and my body breaking and which my body eventually did break same as yours is related to the exercise piece of it. So yeah, there was definitely a lot of reckoning that having gone through that more traditional route, both in my own healing, but then also from a professional standpoint and recognizing like what I was taught as a professional, like how that lands with people, how it doesn't land with people. And it is a really interesting, I don't know, paradigm around like people, people want to know that people are qualified to do the work that they're doing. Sure. But I think how we define that qualified can be really different and really individualized. There are some people and there are some clients that have come to me because I am the dietitian. Yeah. I'm not just, just quote unquote, just the coach. And so they want to know like, okay, she's got these letters behind her name. She's backed by a medical organization. Great. But what they're not realizing with that is because there's so much rules and regulations around that license that I may not help someone the same way that someone who is a coach does and the experience that they have. And often all of the coaches that I've met, they have a pretty significant life experience that brought them into the coaching world. You're a great example of that. And so someone is going to resonate with that whole life story that that person has gone through independent of whether they have a bunch of letters behind their name or not. I think that's, there's a strong human nature piece that goes with that when we're talking about trying to help people. So it's interesting, like it's not, neither one is a perfect fit for everybody. And so I, that's why I think it's cool from, from my perspective, I like to do a lot of collaborations with either with therapists or with coaches so that we can all understand where each other come from, both our lived experience, our professional experiences. So at the end of the day, we all just want to help people. Right. And mm-hmm. if we can have a bunch of us in our back pockets, and so we're sitting across or talking with a client or even a potential client. Like I've been on discovery calls with people. I'm like, now I don't know that I'm the best fit for you, but this person over here, because of their backstory, because of their personal experience and maybe their professional experience, I think they're going to hit the money more for you. And like, that Mm -hmm. should be the point (laughs) is helping people get the, the help that they need. And I, I wanted to ask you too about this, inner work, inner child work, because I think you have a really interesting perspective on it. And again, I think this comes from that lived experience part of of things versus what I've learned from from therapists and psychologists, like inner child work is a a whole thing over in that realm of psychology. But you're the first person that I've ever met that's doing this work without having all those letters behind their name and mm-hmm. coming from your individual experience with it. So I'm wondering if you can walk us through that, you know, what is inner child work 
from your definition of it and how can it clear or how can it help people? And I love you said this in one of our, our group media training calls the other day, clear the muck and get on with their lives. Like I just, that's just so you saying clear the <laughs> muck in your beautiful Scottish accent. And I, But, you know, what does that mean and how can inner child work help us? I think that's going to be important for people to hear. Yeah, sure. So maybe I'll cite my niece again as an example of sometimes when I think about like the way that I am as an adult and I think about a child like my niece, my niece has this, she has this smallness to her. She has this innocence to her. She has this untouched quality to her and she has that that kind of wonder of the world in it. And no one would ever question whether or not Evie deserved to be loved. She would just, she would be loved. And then you look at me at 29, just racked with all of these life experiences. And suddenly the question of, do I deserve to be loved? And suddenly the answer is no. And when did that happen? And how did that happen? And also the way that I think about the inner child is we are adults, but if you really think about it, we're like rings of a tree. I'm every age that I have ever been. I'm walking around 33-year-old Iona now, but in the scrapbook of my body, I have the memories and the bookmarks of who I was when I was 25 and eating nothing so that I could cut weight for a weightlifting competition. I have 21-year-old me who is like binging and starving and still managing to run two kilometers in under seven minutes. Like I have the version of me who was 15 who would spend so much time studying behind the scenes that I would get to the end of school years every single year with my mouth just like a cluster of ulcers I think in the US they call them canker sores because I was just such embodied stress and my people acted like that was normal and then I was also the child that heard over and over and over again so easy to be you Iona so easy to be you when my internal reality was very different and every single one of those life experiences lives in my body just in the way that all of you, you have different rings of the tree or different Russian dolls or different nested dolls and all of everyone that I've ever worked with does as well. And something that I have learned first through my own experience doing inner child work and connecting with those younger versions of me is that we it's so much easier to cultivate a relationship within yourself when you can connect to a version of you that you actually can conceive of loving that you actually can understand she deserves it. She deserves, she, and even if you can't get to love, then it gets to love for a wee while. Kindness, presence, just you being there with them. And that's one of my favorite parts of what I've started to facilitate over the last couple of years through soul breathwork is I combine breathwork, which is just the active use of breath to drop into your body really great for people that can or struggle to meditate because it really quiets the mind. You drop into your body. It can really alter your state of consciousness. And then I guide people on these beautiful kind of psychedelic, can be anyway, not with drugs, just like because of the way that the breath alters the consciousness of your body. And we go back and visit these versions of us and we give them the love that they didn't get at that time. And we sit with them and we reparent them. 
And we and like I'll all I always offer two questions. When you connect with this younger version of yourself, what do you need right now? And how can I love you more? Because these are two questions that were never asked, probably when we were younger. And also the reality, and I think this is important as well, because I work with a lot of people who are mums, is some parents are tragic and awful parents most people aren't most people are parents most parents are just doing the best that they can the reality is though I believe this this is why soul is called soul we come into the world as a soul we land in our human body and only we know the love that we need other people can do their best to understand us with their own life experiences with their own capacity to love and care for us but we are solely responsible for knowing spending the time to really know what is the love that I need and that's what reparenting is and that is what inner child work is and that is that is why I love doing it because I have been through so I've hosted so many of these experiences now where people are like oh my god I have never felt this kind of love for myself and this totally melted me this totally or it cracked my heart and trust me like my heart needed its firm cracking like it was very frozen in there and so it's beautiful to have these experiences yourself so that's the way that I think about it I think that we're every age we're, we're ever been we all have inner children plural not child and one of the most powerful ways to access these memories or experiences that are stuck and stored in, in the body is by speaking your body's language which is breath work so I love the combination of those of those two pieces. And I love that analogy of a scrapbook also. I think that that if you think about thumbing through a scrapbook and going back and and seeing how life was when you were younger, I think that that really resonates. And, and you know, there's a book, The Body Keeps the Score, which you've probably heard of that kind of goes into that and definitely more psychologist speak yeah. around it. Um, but just inter- introducing that concept to people that you are all of those experiences coming into how you're presenting today. And mm-hmm. I find that with with my clients, you know, we can get so hard on ourselves and so much judging and so much shooting. And it's almost like a window into, okay, hold up, who who is talking right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is 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 it your mom? Is it a coach? Is it a PE teacher? Was it an old <laughs> boyfriend? Like, is it your current spouse partner? Like, who is talking right now? Because if you are talking to and that a vision of your younger self, I don't think you would be saying these things right now. And mm-hmm. so, what level of that tree, that tree rungs, like, where are you? Where, where are you at right now? As you're Mm -hmm. saying these things to and about your body? Yep. I also think to take it a layer deeper is that there is the self, like the version of us who can conceive of the fact that this is not a conversation that is fair, but there may well be a younger part of us that actually believes fundamentally that this is true just based on their what they did live through so say even if we can conceive of the fact that's like oh yeah that's I can remember I remember it so clearly getting weighed when I was at Scotland trials for hockey and it like I was sick I was I gained significant (laughs) 
not at all. I had gained significant too much weight between like the six months that I was weighed between. And I'll never remember him saying the number and him looking at me as if I committed a crime. And yeah, that version of me did believe that that was a crime. And so that's the act of reparenting too. Because in this, in this ability to reflect on that and separate from ourselves and view that younger version of us, they do actually believe that. So it's our job to show ourselves a different way or heal that experience or give ourselves a different experience. That's to, like, to the, where we started with some of the stuff about society and culture and what we learn in the same way where every voice that has ever told us just at the wrong moment that we're bad or wrong or not good enough or not beautiful or not lovable or whatever it is. And we become this distillation of all of these things. And so these voices, it's beautiful that you pull them apart because these voices end up sounding like us. We think they're us, but they're, it's more like all of the paint has been swirled into that awful brown color. You know, when you just like mix all the colors together and you're left with this thing, that's the muck. But that's what we end up thinking about ourselves. That's the way we end up talking about ourselves. And we have to, if we really want to heal, want to change these things, you have to, I think of it like a practitioner, like an artist, you have to be willing to pull all of that apart. Absolutely. And to your point too, you have to validate the experience of that younger version of yourself. So I think that's a really key piece because like you said, they, they did hear it that way. They did hear from the hockey coach. You did hear it in that way. And you believed again, it was a position of authority, but you Mm -hmm. believed that that was the truth. And so to do that validation of that younger self is also important and such not to be glossing over it. And because, you know, parenting can go that direction too. Like, oh, it's fine, honey. It's all okay. You know, I hear that you're hurting, but you know, it, it's all good, like a little bit invalidating. So from what I'm hearing from you too, it's also important to, to validate each stages that we went through, each child versions of ourselves that we went through and know that, you know, we were generally still trying to do the best that we could at that time, whether it was related to survival. I mean, it often wraps around survival in different shapes and forms, right? Yep. And so the importance of validating that as you're doing the healing and the parenting can't do the parenting properly in my mind without the validation part otherwise we're just glossing over the hurt exactly and I I'm saying this like I'm a wise parent in my ex- I mean I'm a, I'm a parent to a dog and a cat but I'm a very wise inner parent to some Ionas that were really hurting really really hurting and I love what you said it's not your job to say basically it's okay because all that sounds like is that didn't happen or you're wrong and no one wants to hear that (laughs) no one wants to hear that the most healing thing often is just being there I often guide people with that in breath work so if you don't know what to say just be there because that experience especially like through the through the lens of of trauma how trauma is defined it's that you had an experience 
that went outside your window of tolerance, that experience got stuck and stored in your body, you didn't have a compassionate witness to discharge it. And that's why it gets stuck and stored. And then it deeply influences the way you think and feel about yourself and the world. So see, even if you can take that role of the empathetic witness of your own pain, regardless of what that is, you don't have to go back to every single childhood memory you ever had because the, the trust within you generalizes. If you can show yourself just a couple of times, I am the empathetic witness to your experience. I believe you. I know what happened. I'm so sorry it happened. I know I didn't know how to take care of you at the time. I'm here now. That's all anyone never needs to hear. We don't need to hear that it's going to be okay. We need to hear that our experiences were real and that we're that we're going to do it differently this time. I love this quote. I think I picked it up either on, on your website or in another interview that you did. And you said, I believe that women learning how to be comfortable being themselves in this world is activism. So mm-hmm. you've talked about your inner child work and your breath work, but how do you help women become more uninvisible um, and stop th- shrinking themselves and kind of show up in this activism? Yeah, I love this conversation because something else that I am frustrated by the more time I spend in the sort of inner inner work, breath work, healing world is a lot of, can I swear? It's okay. Yep. Oh yeah. A lot, yeah, like yeah. I already said the fuck it out. Okay. There's a lot of like fuck the system. The systems are broken. Diet culture. The way women are seen, like blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying it's not true. It's fundamentally true. But I don't care about that stuff. And the reason I don't care about that stuff is that stuff in the it, that's like tectonic plates, how quickly that stuff moves. How, how much can actually be disassembled in a lifetime. I'm not saying don't engage with it, but I'm just saying yelling fuck the system is just you and not doing anything else about deconstructing the system of oppression that you've embodied in your own beliefs and life experiences about yourself. That's what you should be focusing on. You have to take radical responsibility for your life because the systems out here you don't really have that much power of them, but you have a huge amount of power of how you show up within the system. So that's the way that I look at it. All of the diet culture, yes, it's real. I have tried my absolute best to deconstruct what I absorbed about diet culture within my beliefs, and that's all I can take responsibility for. I can't can't change. Actually, my contribution is me no longer acting as a system of oppression within my own life and or holding other women down through that same context and lens. So that's my contribution to society is becoming less symptomatic. That's the way that I, that's the way that I look at it. And I think that if we all actually looked at ourselves in that way and didn't just try to wrap the world in cross and wool or try to cancel people and all that kind of nonsense, you can't do that. You have to become more resilient. And I know it takes work. And I know it might feel like it's easier to make other people go away or other systems go away. They're not going to go away. So then it's like, how do you become more powerful in your engagement with that? And so that's what I'm always trying to encourage people with with this. If you're someone that is feeling massively emotionally flooded all the time, Do breath work to regulate the nervous system that got dysregulated by the culture that we lived in. If you are someone like me who 
did sort of succumb to diet culture and shrinking your body and perhaps numbed yourself out to the point where you can't actually feel anything, do breath work to unnumb yourself, to increase your connection inside your body, not your domination of your body, not your control of your body. Be in your body. Learn how to speak your body's language. That's activism in my eyes. You're saying that you had a horrible experience when you were younger. Cool. Heal like hell. Please, like, be my guest. Heal like hell. That is your contribution to society and the world. And another way I kind of talk about this, and then I'll I'll drop it, is like, before you go fighting for a cause, fight for yourself. So much easier. So much easier to be messing around with here, trying to set other people up with therapists or trying to set other people up with coaches or, well, maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some help. That's like, that's the way that I look at it. Whatever you can do. And sometimes I sometimes get feedback from people. It's like, wow, it feels, feels selfish to be focusing on myself with this kind of um, like prioritizing that. There's nothing selfish about it. It's the most generous thing that you can do for yourself, others in the world, to make yourself less symptomatic so that you can be free. Because something that I've learned is that the more high maintenance that you are with your connection to yourself, the more that you prioritize that, the, the more low maintenance you are in the world. Shit doesn't bother you so much anymore because you're just less, you're less triggered. You're less reactive because you know that you've got you you know that you've got value, you know that you've got work, worth, you know how to regulate yourself, you know you know how to take care of your shit, that is your job. <laughs> That's the sole breathwork form of activism. <laughs> take responsibility for your own fucking beautiful life, you only have one that I'm aware of. Yes, so much, yeah, so much yes to that, and I think that we get, well, we get caught up in the activism as a whole, like you said, like pushing back against the the greater systems of oppression, which I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that, but to do it from that slightly different angle to where if we're showing up and we're doing it for ourselves, then we become models of not participating in mm-hmm. the greater diet culture or the greater nonsense. And then that when people see how we're taking care of ourselves or how we're living our lives beyond the diet culture nonsense, then they kind of take notice of that going like, whoa, well, what are they doing? Like, how are they doing? Like, oh, they're not participating in these cultural you know, systems of oppression, but they're doing it in their own daily life too. And there are the number of times that I've had conversations with clients, which of course we talk about, you know, like what is diet culture and how do we dismantle it? How has messaging affected you? And then one of, I spent a long time when I first started doing this work, like in that space of just becoming aware of all of the harm that diet culture mm-hmm. has done. And that's cool. And the clients go through the same thing, but then we need to come down to like, and what now? Yeah, totally. <laughs> because if you get stuck in the whole like, you know, screw diet culture piece, like, well, what are you doing to move yourself forward and living every single day, getting dressed every single morning and how your pants are feeling that day or how your body is feeling that day? Like you have to stay, still stay connected to you. And that's the most radical way of pushing back 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're oh, either yeah. pushing back either as a consumer, consumer of knowledge, consumer of goods, whatever it is. But when you take that self-responsibility within whatever means that you have and mentally, emotionally, you know, financially and everything. But once you start doing that work for yourself, then you become that person of that activist that is pushing yep. back. Totally. I love what you said yeah. there about I say this all the time and no one likes it because no one wants to be a victim or at least no one thinks they want to be a victim. But I actually think for me and for pretty much everyone, when you're going through healing, whatever it is, food or otherwise, it's actually very important to allow yourself to feel like a victim to the external, to the circumstances, to what happened to you. I certainly, there was a phase where I went through, where it was actually very important for me to release the pressure that that this was all my fault, you know? And it was actually very healing to be like, wow, I'm a victim of diet culture. Wow, I'm a victim of imperfect parenting. Wow, I'm a victim of stories that people gave to me about who I am and what my capacity is. I'm a victim to all these experiences. And then you better not stay there because those like that, feeling of victimhood can start to feel like you're doing the work like the actual act of healing work and you're not you're just a stopping point in your journey of reclamation so it's like see it clearly allow yourself to just be overwhelmed by what happened to you and how and how like all the perpetration and then rise do the work to rise through it I think it's very important for people to feel like a victim and also very important to not stay there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's part of the validation, isn't it? Totally. I mean, acknowledging Absolutely. like, yep, yep, I was a victim to that. Okay, cool. Now what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we can validate and we can move through the validation, you know, mm-hmm. and I think we have to do the validation to move move on and move through, but we can't just stay stuck in just stuck at the validation like yep here I am like there's a whole lot of life that we need to get on and living exactly yeah well we will put links to the soul breath work app for folks that are that have their iPhones I'm not an iPhone person but I'm waiting for when the Android version comes along that will be cool um and any other links that you want to we'll link to the book um any other links that you want to include or set where you want to send folks yeah so if you are kind of interested about trying an inner child breathwork session I have a free one that is on my website so you can go to soulbreathwork.com forward slash meet and you will get a you'll get a live session or it's a it's a recording of a live session um but hundreds of people have done it at this point and you'll see from the reviews that they're kind of wild um so that would be a beautiful place for you to pop in if you're curious about trying breathwork you know um inner child work i highly recommend that too especially if someone listening you've tried the therapy route or you've tried more of the, you know, traditional route yep. and you're not getting where you want to be or where you think you need to be. This is a great, either totally different avenue for people to check out or maybe add on top of what they're already doing. So yep. I think that you're spot on with that. I'm so glad you're doing this work. Thank you.
Yeah. I love thanks it. So, <laughs> it's clear, which is awesome. Um, so thanks so much for being here today, Iona. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening today. I hope this conversation inspires you to undiet your life and start savoring food and your body. You can find show notes and resources from this episode by going to alpinenutrition.org forward slash blog, B-L-O-G. If you'd like to learn more about my one-on-one counseling or group coaching programs, go to my website, alpinenutrition.org and click work with me at the top of the page. And finally, if you found this episode helpful, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, keep savoring food and your body. Thank you.